0: Hello dear sweet supple uh beautiful listeners it's Gary Grimm here uh you're about to hear an interview I did with Dave Hunt from Anal uh this was my second attempt because I, I fucked up the first time I had a technical problem I recorded the whole thing but I couldn't hear any of Dave's answers uh to my questions in in that first recording So, you'll hear us mention the last time we talked, that's because this is the second time around doing the interview, but uh, I finally got there, and uh, so here it is, enjoy. Oh, and as you probably can now, you're probably going to hear a few planes going overhead because I live right under the flight path. It's all fun and games here at the highly professional Death tour, But Metal, so anyway, enjoy the, the interview with Dave Hunt.
1: Hello, this is Dave from Anal Anilnathraq, and for some incomprehensible reason, you're listening to Death to All But Metal.
0: Hello, Deathheads, this is Gary Grimm, and joining me over Skype today is uh, Dave Hunt, A.K.A. Uh, Vitriol from Anál Náthrak. Dave, how you doing?
1: Hello, I'm all right, thanks. That's
0: that's good. That's good. So we're here to talk about Anál uh which is a band that's been going for about 20 years now. It, it seems over those 20 years, you guys have been going for the most extreme, most aggressive music uh, you you can possibly create. Do you, do you think you've reached uh, the, the the utmost extremity you can, or do, or do you think there's there's further ways to push it?
1: Um. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that's what really what we've been trying to do. I mean, first of all, the fact that it's been twenty years is faintly ridiculous to me. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that just sounds absurd. Um, and we don't really experience uh, that how long we've been doing it in that kind of a way to us it still feels you know quite new <laughs> weirdly quite you know fresh and exciting to us but uh but no i don't think we would we were ever only going for extremity we, what we wanted was to get um uh, a degree of harshness um a degree of extremity i suppose um that suited what we felt was what we wanted to achieve kind of thing we did we we wanted to get something that was satisfying, not something that was just as extreme as we could possibly make it. Right.
0: Um,
1: you know, at, at one time a few years ago, I think um, I think Agrophobic Nosebleed did a thousand BPM song or something like that. <laughs> or you know, one thing, just just over a week ago, I was I was at the house of uh, Donk, who plays bass live for us, um, and we watched a, a video on YouTube of a Masana performance i suppose would be the word it's hardly it's hardly a gig um and yeah something like masana where he's basically attempting to injure himself and making just totally unlistenable insane noise yeah that's more extreme but that wouldn't be what we wanted to do you know we did, we could do those sorts of things but we want to cross it with things that we find interesting things that we find compelling something that's got a bit of depth and emotional power to it and I don't think that's quite the same thing as only aiming at extremity so could we go further yes I think we probably could well would we want to no probably not maybe a a little bit but at the same time I I wouldn't want to say that we're we'd shy away from extremity either you know it's it's inherent to what we do so it, it needs to be it's the Goldilocks amount that we're looking for basically
0: right well these guys do seem to strike uh, the perfect balance between uh melodic kind of stuff and uh, really heavy kind of music is, is there a trick to to getting that balance
1: um not in terms of there being like a, a conscious you know, what would you call it a part of the design stage of the design process or anything like that there's no there's no trick in that respect it's it's just about doing what we feels right um and always being guided by that never trying to think how do you achieve a certain a certain effect in the listener or, or something like that it's always about doing what from the from the inside out feels like the right thing to do um and yeah i mean we we wouldn't tend to see it in terms of you know it's quite common to use a term like melodic like you used um partially i suspect because that that term is in is in the general metal parlance from sure. other things like the classification melodic death metal for example um whereas we don't really see it like we we like tunes and we like horrible bits <laughs> you know we're uh, we're not really doing it with a conscious lingo or or anything like that it's it's always a matter of being guided by what feels satisfying and that i think is what produces Hopefully, what does come across as a, as a balance. It's not something you aim at it, but it's a it's a necessary byproduct of the way you go about it. If that makes sense. D-
0: definitely, definitely. Um, well, well, you guys have been writing music. You and Mick have been writing music together for 20 years now. Uh, how has your relationship, uh, songwriting relationship, evolved in that time?
1: Um. Th- in terms of the dynamic between the two of us, it sort of hasn't, <laughs> really. Um, I mean, again, it sounds such a staggeringly long length of time and it doesn't feel that way to us, but it's it's always been pretty much the same. I, I think if you take us as a sort of, as a collective entity, a, a gestalt, um, then we have evolved significantly, I think. Um, but in terms of the way we work relative to one another, I don't think we have. In each case, we we are today exactly the same as we always were. And Mick writes music, and I do vocals over it. And beyond that, I know that sounds ridiculously simplistic. <laughs> but, but beyond that, we've each got better, I think, at doing our respective bits. But we're the same in that we trust one another to do our respective bits. And you know, there's no. You might suspect, for example, over time that. If Mick wrote all the music to begin with, then over time I would try to elbow in on that, or vice versa, or you know that kind of evolutionary thing. But that, that hasn't really happened, you know. We'll, we'll we'll listen to what we each have to say about what you might call the other's domain. Right. Um, but for the most part, we 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 get on with what we're best at. I know I can't do what Mick does, and Mick knows he can't do what I do. And you know, when we work together, we produce better results than if we were trying to. Push each other around, or you know, or anything like that. It's it's always been a very natural um, and easily divided set of non-overlapping magisteria, to use a buzzword from a book (laughs) I read.
0: Um,
1: And yeah, so Mick's way better at writing music than he used to be. I like to think I'm better at putting vocals together. But between the two of us, the dynamics pretty much the same.
0: Wow. So let let's talk about your domain a little bit when it comes to lyrics and uh, and vocals. Uh, and you just mentioned a book that you read. Uh, it seems like a lot of your stuff is uh, is inspired from the literary world. I was just uh, wondering what is some uh, literature that inspires you?
1: Um. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's it's not necessarily just literature. Sometimes it's you know textbooks or whatever they happen to come across. Um, it's more a matter of rather than consciously trying to draw on literary inspiration because i think you would sound a bit of a pretentious prat if, <laughs> if you went around saying that too much um i don't want to disappear up my own arse, but we, it's more a matter of being open to what the world presents to you and as you go around i mean i do tend to read books and things um and those things seep into what we're doing with nathrak but there can also there could be stuff from something I've heard on the radio or, you know, the, the news on the TV or something I saw on a, a bus when I was on the way home from the pub or, what you know, it could be anything. Um, but it is true that you come across interesting ideas in books. So, you know, sure. those kinds of things are an influence. Um, I mean, the non-overlapping magisteria, that's from Richard Dawkins, uh, if I remember rightly, the while since I read that. One of the big influences in the past was... Um, Some books by a Scandinavian author called Jens Um, translate The first one, at least, is translated into English as Moment of Freedom. And I read it in English. I'm not not saying that. that. (laughs) Um, And, yeah, that was some fascinating stuff. And that was a really big influence around the time of an album we did called In the Constellation of the Black Widow. Um, And, you know, the the next few albums, because he wrote more than one book. Um, on, On a new kind of horror, the new album... Um, a lot of the sort of literary style stuff came from poetry, poetry. It was, um, Fr- from
0: soldiers yeah. from the First World War, if, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, because I mean, with it being 2018 that the the album was coming out, um, obviously that's uh, the centenary of the end of the First World War, and it felt, you know, an appropriate time to reflect on that. And those the poems that we drew from. Um, especially Dulce Decorum Est, or Dulce, however you pronounce it. That's something that stayed with, I, I would say both of us, certainly me, um, since we were kids. I, I first read that in English class at school. Um, and it's been you know, a powerful thing in the back of my mind for, for as long as I can remember thinking about literature and so on. And it's so powerfully evocative. It, it gives you a real sense of being placed in this almost supernaturally horrific... Environment that people actually did find themselves in, um, and so to use things like that as inspirations for for lyrics and so on, I, I I can hardly think of anything finer and in its own way more beautiful to use as inspiration.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, I mean, you did such a great job with it. Uh, uh, the the real sense of uh, the the horrors of war really comes across, especially in songs like uh, "Forward" and stuff like that uh yeah really, yeah. really effective uh speaking of a new kind of horror and just horror in general uh, talked about this uh last time I talked to you a little bit uh about how anal nathraq's depiction of horror is often based in reality and in human nature and, and real things rather than supernatural things what 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 <laughs> what about the real wor- world at the moment do you find the most horrific?
1: um it's, it's the whole thing's going a bit bad, a bit wrong it seems lately i mean yeah, just briefly touching on the real world thing um an analogy might be it's it's common to to think about fantastical monsters or you know aspects of imaginary beasts sure. but to me if you're on if you're standing on a bridge and someone on the other side of the bridge is whipping children you're not that bothered at that moment in time whether there's a troll underneath it if you see what i mean you know yeah. there's there's plenty going on <laughs> with, with the real stuff that's right in front of you to 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 preoccupy you um but the world at the minute to me seems very much like the the 1980s in some ways it's it's in a geopolitical sense it's really polarized and i think you know the more local sense people are are a bit more fearful and 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 jealous of their own their own environment and their own possessions and stuff like that it, i mean in in this country obviously we're going through brexit um which well we haven't got long enough to talk about that but, you know, <laughs> suffice to say it's complicated and people including me have strong opinions about it yeah that, and that's they're a very whole... very opposed to one another that's a oh, whole other podcast. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, probably a series of them, and you would have to bleep most of it. Out, I think, right? um, but that's just one example of something that's really, really polarised, and it's you know, it's it's leading people to, to come to blows over it. Um, and that's just one thing in this country. You know, America's got uh, Trump going on again. You know, there's no comment necessary. You can just see there's something clearly unusual happening there. Um, and. These, these things are repeated around the world, you know, what's, what's been going on in Syria, what's this place, that place. Um, and to me, that's, that's kind of, at the moment, that feels the scariest thing. I mean, it, to really try and get to horror, I think you would have to full scale um, experiences, but they sort of get swamped. They're, all the oxygen's taken up by the big things that are going on in the world lately, I think, because they're so potentially frightening. Um, and then the other day, I, I didn't mention this when we spoke before, but the other day I was listening to a woman on the radio, um, Shoshana, though I can't remember her surname, but she an academic on the radio and she was talking about uh, a phenomenon that she calls surveillance capitalism. Um, and that's how mostly internet based big businesses are commoditizing every last thing about our most private and innermost lives. Um, You know, they're not interested necessarily on what you click on while you're on the internet. They want to know how your breath rate changes when you see something on a screen. You know, it's it's that kind of detail, and they want to monetize that. And to me, that seemed a little bit horrific. That seems really Matrix-style.
0: It sounds like like Orwell's worst nightmare or something.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Big Brother, as far as I can tell, wanted to know what you were thinking, but as long as you didn't say it out loud, you, you you stood a chance. Whereas this stuff wants to read your mind that you didn't you didn't even know that you were feeling. Um, and to me, that that you know, true horror has something to do with the compromise of identity. I think on a conceptual level, getting a bit sophisticated, it's only for a minute, but to bring it back down, that's why things like the pure virgin or little girl is a trope in horror when her identity is corrupted in The Exorcist, for example. Right. That's, that's really tapping into what the word horror means. And, and this kind of ultra-surveillance, that seems to, to get a little bit towards that kind of you know identity-compromising stuff. So I find that pretty scary. Um, but there's a lot of other things. Again, we could probably have another whole podcast <laughs> on uh, what's, what's horrifying.
0: <laughs> a talk in horror with Dave Hunt.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Well, strangely enough, hardly mentioning you know, Jason Voorhees or anything of the type.
0: We don't need him, it seems.
1: No, well, it doesn't seem that way to me, no. <laughs> but, you know, courses for courses. Some people love that kind of stuff, and I'm sure. not knocking them. It's just... Uh, no, the, the real world is easily horrific itself.
0: Definitely. Well, let's, let's talk about taking our mind off horror for a little bit and also kind of being confronted with it when we talk about, uh, your live shows coming up, <laughs> Right, <yeah. laughs> uh, you're, you're coming to Australia for your first headlining tour. Uh, yeah. so ha- ha- how are you feeling about that? Excited. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mean, we, none of us I don't think has got any great degree of experience of Australia. Obviously we were in Tasmania, you know, not too long ago, uh, for a show at the Dark Mofo festival. But other than that, I don't think any of us has really spent much time going around Australia or anything. And obviously, you know, it's not a country we've never heard of or anything. Sure. <laughs> um, being based in the UK, so it's it's somewhere that that people got people like us are often curious about, but also almost feel that we'll never be able to go and visit because you know, it ain't cheap. Uh, it's
0: to not do cheap it, unless you get. Time, time-wise and money-wise, I mean, it's it takes a long time to get over here.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm well aware how long it's gonna take. Um, but you know that doing music like this affords you the possibility to do things sometimes that you wouldn't otherwise do, especially if you know you're you're from you know good, honest working class stock. With when you were growing up, your aspirations reflected that. You know, I might use long words sometimes, but I still grew up in a council house. You know. <laughs> Um, So we didn't really see ourselves being able to do things like Go To Australia. Um, So it's a really exciting prospect. Um, And to be able to do that doing something we care passionately about and with any luck to encounter other people who are on a similar wavelength, that kind of thing, that sounds a very enticing prospect. Um, But at the same time, we're not sure what's going to happen. We haven't done shows in Australia, so we don't know what shows in Australia are like. So that's going going to be interesting to see what happens.
0: Well, well, the the show that I saw of yours at uh, Dark Mofo was uh, very unique. I'll say that, like music, <laughs> musically excellent. But uh, we had a, a blind guy stage diving at one point, and we had uh, guys and 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 women uh, getting up on stage and uh, dropping their pants at one point.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, stuff happens.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs>
1: you're doing a gig and there's a a mousy blind guy well stuff
0: happens
1: (laughs) you're doing a gig and someone shouts get your cock out or whatever it was that that happened to start that stuff happens so yeah i mean i'm not saying we we're particular you know penis fetishists who go around the world trying to get people to show us their equipment um (laughs) but (laughs) but if people uh,
0: insist <laughs> yeah, and
1: yeah, um, you know, or anything else that could happen, um, we're pretty open to just seeing what the hell happens because we're not easily, you know, we're not shrinking violets on the sure. stage ourselves. Um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty much going for anything.
0: Thank you so much for spending some time uh, with me again. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. We'll see you in Australia very soon.
1: Yep. Yeah. Thanks, man. i right. to see you there. Is your recording equipment working today?
0: It, it I'm just uh, double and triple checking it now. <laughs> uh, okay. The audio's peaking. I'm so sorry to subject you to this again.
1: Uh, it's all right, mate. I just uh, can't guarantee that I'll be as utterly fascinating as I was last time. <laughs>